Today, it is a real privilege to be able to bring a word to mothers and mothers in Zion. Mothers in Zion, as already explained, are women who are spiritual mothers in the body. They may not actually have physical children, but they are mothers indeed. They have given birth to a generation of young people or a people who they have led to the Lord and who they are discipling, who they are hearing things from God and they are speaking it and they are being used to form lives and to form life. So it is to this group, mothers and mothers in Zion, that I want to speak. You know, I've traveled through life saying one line more than any other, and I would have liked to have thought, giving it some thought that I could be quoted saying something profound. Um, And I wish what I said probably the most than any other line was a little more profound, but I actually hear myself saying often throughout the year to people around me, I say, this is why there's a Mother's Day. Because of one thing or another, as I see what's happening around me and all that's required of um, the people and the women around me. This is why there's a Mother's Day. So the scripture says to give honor to whom honor is due. Thank you for everyone listening in. And what a joy. Thank you, Pastor Carter, for wanting on Mother's Day a special word to mothers and mothers in Zion, mothers in Israel to be spoken. It is really an honor indeed to do this. Well, it's uh, no, no secret to have children involve sorrow and pain. Bringing life into the world entails sorrow and pain for so many reasons. Just the act of childbirth, described as labor and travail, begins to tell the story. Of course, the nurturing of newborns and infants and toddlers is such a demanding role. Of course, it's sleeplessness, deprivations, social isolation, enormous amounts of time, self-sacrifice in untold ways. And all that said, as mothers, it's just pretty well expected of you. But there is transformation in it. As a girl goes to a woman, there is hard... one wisdom in it. There are times, it is times full of self-doubt, and yet it is times full of secret joys. It's an incredibly unique experience as a mother when you see your heart now walking around outside of your body in another little life. It is a love that is at once ferocious, instinctive, and if you let it, And if I let it, it becomes a window and a complete door of opportunity to understand, even a little, the awe-inspiring love of God for his children, the amazing love he has for us. And I hope today for my dear sister mothers, a revelation of how much he loves you. This love will break us down and then it will renew us. In the natural, childbirth is somehow an agreement. Every woman knows this, that there is a risk involved. And it is implied that you do say in some level, my life for yours. And there can be no closer aligning ourselves 
with the heart of God, the beating heart of his center for us, when he actually operated that way, when he came to this earth to say, my life for yours. And it gives us an understanding of how worth it we are to him because we follow so closely in his footsteps. Mothers and mothers in Zion, you can have young mothers. You can also have young mothers in Zion. I salute you all, all those who saying, I want to be counted to bringing life to my generation. This message is to you. It's not for you. It is to you to honor you. I want to start where it always has to start is in Genesis and just one line, Genesis 3.20 to open up this morning. In Genesis 3.20 says this in the, new, in the King James Version. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. When you look at that word Eve in the Hebrew, it means life giver. Adam called his wife's name life giver. And that word mother that he's referring to her means the bond of the family. Interesting because he gave that name when she wasn't yet a mother. And interestingly enough, he gave her that name of life giver after the fall, after the judgments fell on them in the Garden of Eden because of their sin. Adam called her name life giver. You know, we would have thought if he was in the natural, he would have called her perhaps stumbling block or the Hebrew equivalent of disappointment. Might have called her deceived. Might have called her my downfall. Of course, if he did that, he would have to name himself that also because he stood beside her. But he called her as God saw her. He called her by her the original intent of God in the creation of woman. He called her as God says, this is why I created you, made in my image, and you are a life giver. That name came at that moment in her being of failure, of crushing failure, of attending judgments. But that even her failure alone could not eradicate who fundamentally she was. God called her a life giver. And Adam understood that and named her according to why God created her. And of course, we understand in that word life giver that, of course, Jesus is the giver of life. He is the giver of life. But when Christ comes into a woman's heart, the giver of life enables a woman who he created in his image, who he intended all along, no matter the failures, no matter what hat she is or what at that moment she's experiencing. He says, I created you to be life giver. And failure, disappointments, struggles does not eradicate your original intent of why you and I on the face of this planet. And it's interesting because when we are what we are called, when we move in our best anointing, when we operate, beloved, in our design, in our original intent, in the purpose of our creation, when we recognize that, 
we will see that God is in that. God moves in in a powerful way. And when we embrace how God sees us and what he intended us to be, I'm telling you, things go easier. We align ourselves with truth and the truth makes us free. Hallelujah. The scripture says in Psalm 11, what can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? What can the righteous, what can the right thinking people who are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what can the righteous do if the foundations are being destroyed? Well, the righteous, they can rebuild those foundations. They can refound the foundation if it has been shifted away from truth and rebuild it on truth. And as I said earlier to the graduating class, truth does not have an expiration date. What was true at the beginning where we are called life giver is true then, true at our salvation, true now, and true into our future. So that as we begin to think as God thinks about us, a new release and a new power. This truth births in us something that allows a recreative force in us to stay our place and to fulfill the mandate and call of our life all the days of our life to be life givers. Hallelujah. When this foundation gets restored again, my sisters, in our heart, in our life, when the devil tries to lie us from that place of truth and accuse us and deceive us from that place of truth, I thank God that the Lord has sent his word to heal us, that the Holy Spirit has come upon the light to, uh, has come upon the word to light it up in our life, that we may return to the foundation and our original intent of how God sees us, that we may call on the strength of the Lord, his life in us, the giver of life, giving us power to become the life givers in Jesus' name that we were intended to be. And so when this truth is restored to every mother and to every mother in Zion, every discipler of Christ, that life giving is restored to our psyche, to our mentality, to our inner spirit. I pray today that the Lord renew in us who we are in God by God's design, that this foundation be restored, for it is needed, it is mighty, and it is powerful. We have been designed to be the life giver and the bond of the family unit. Praise God. Now, if you turn with me or uh, in Acts 9, just want to um, share a very awesome example of what I'm talking about in the life of a woman. And in Acts 9, 36 to 42, we're just going to read quickly. It says there was now at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And as for much as Lydda nigh to Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which, garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. 
But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout old Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Here is this woman. I love it. This short passage on her life. It takes two names to describe this disciple. That's the first way we under, we meet her. She is known as a disciple, and in those days a teacher and a learner. But it also says that we we understand her as disciple as Tabitha, but we need an interpretation. We need a fuller understanding, and so calls her Dorcas. The interesting is that Tabitha is how her name is in Hebrew. Dorcas is how you say her name in Greek because they both mean the same thing. It means gazelle, which is really an act, a way of saying this woman was graceful. This woman had grace. We're not talking about her physique. That's not mentioned at all. But it's talking about her state of being. She was graceful. She was graceful in her mind and in her spirit. She was truly a woman full of grace. She exuded grace. She exude, exuded, and I think for any woman that is full of grace, a graceful woman is full of courage and kindness. To me, you can't boil it down into one word for a woman full of grace. It takes the two. It takes courage and kindness to describe a woman full of grace. To me, that definition is sort of like a, a woman's woman to me. And this woman, it says in verse 36, was full. This woman had overflow. This woman had abundance in her spirit. This woman had more than enough. The scripture says in her good works, she was graceful. In her alms deeds, she was graceful. That word Alms deeds actually means she was compassionate. She had so much grace in what she put her hand to do. She had passion in her compassion. She could be tough and straight, no doubt. But I see a person full of humanity and humor and grace. A person that in their serving, in their leading, in their teaching, in who they are, they never made people feel less than they were. She never lorded it over them. But it was a delight in a sense she could serve people and they were amazed and astounded by it. That she had so much to do, yet so much time for them. So much a way to minister that she felt like she made people feel the love of God and the compassion of God in the way that she did it. She said, I am no different than you. And yet she could bring so much to what she did. It was so important that there was this deep compassion that runs in her. Because beloved, I want to say that I think a woman's genius is found in her ability to have relationships. We are wired to be wired to each other. A woman's genius is her ability to do relationships and the need for relationships. And that, you know, honestly, that's why we have 1,400 at our women's conference. 
Uh, we just love hanging out and hanging together. This interests us intensely. This interests us intently. We love to hear from each other. We love to be connected. We love to have relationships. That's why compassion is so important and essentials. Because if relationships is our genius, then words are our weapons. You see, men are physically stronger. But I want to put to you that women have a distinct advantage when it comes to words. I have known many men, they lead companies, they're strong in their lead, they, in their leading. They lead in their leading. They can be strong in dealing with each other. They are they can master. They are wise. They know what to do. They can be very thick-skinned in the day-to-day and the back and forth and the rough and tumble. They can define boundaries. They can say, yeah, you go ahead and say that, but that's all. That's not affecting me. They can, they can handle it in the rough and the tumble. But a half glance of displeasure or intimation of frostiness from their woman can keep him up half the night. Words are our weapons. A graceful woman over time, we learn to aim them at the enemy. We learn to aim them at lies and accusations. There is compassion in our words. That's when we're at our most powerful and our most beautiful. When Abigail went and had a word for David, a David he didn't David, when before he was king, she had a word from him. You can read that in Second Samuel, uh, sorry, First Samuel. And David was riding out with four hundred men behind him, with their swords strapped on, ready to do something that he would not be proud of in the future. He was just acting in his flesh. He was just acting in a place that was not kingly. He just wanted revenge. He was getting sucker punched by a man that didn't deserve to have his, David's lower nature drawn out about. And the scripture says that this woman stood in the way of 400 pounding horses coming down with her, looking for blood, David at the helm, and she could stand in the way and halt those 400 men riding on horses, and the whole parade could be stopped. And when she spoke, the wisdom of God was there. She told David something he didn't want to hear, but she said it with compassion and wisdom. She said, don't do this because there'll come a day that you will deeply regret it. And you will not just bring displeasure on the Lord's displeasure, but your name also, who the Lord has graciously linked with your name, David. He loves you and he wants to use you. Don't do this. It will be a source of regret. And she so wisely spoke and, and saved David from a, uh, something that he would regret all his life. Beloved, words are our weapons. Life givers know over time how to do it wisely. We're not perfect, but we do it wisely. One thing I loved about Dorcas is that she saw widows. Hallelujah. In those times, New Testament times, these were not people of status. Widows have households with no husbands. 
And this Dorcas, she was so great in her spirit. She was so great that she, whenever she saw emptiness, she wanted to fill it. If life was needed, she could give it. Because she was full, she had abundance. She kept pouring out the oil till every empty vessel was filled. She knew that God loves to fill empty vessels and anointed her. And she could seek out the widows and those least esteemed and pour into them. She could speak to the great, I am sure, because that kind of wisdom can be used in any situation. But it says she was so great she could see the invisible. She could see the emotionally needy. She did not need to shy away from demands of people that many considered unimportant. She had the mind of God and and that's why she was so truly beautiful. Because she was moved by them, by the least of them. She was not repulsed by them. She was not impatient with them. She saw them. And when Dorcas, this life giver, this woman, this notable woman who could serve, who could teach, who could minister, who could see people as they really are and do it with such compassion, how powerful was she? But there was a season where she was sick and that wasting came upon her. There was that season of deathbed when death is closing in. And beloved, we know that as women, weariness is our portion, as is sadness, depression, crushing, loss, exhaustion, vulnerable. When a question of our worth, when a question of the the destruction we see in lives around us. You know, this sickness and death that came upon Dorcas' life represents what comes to every life. It was the full spectrum of what happens to people who are life givers. She didn't have a perfect life. She had an authentic life. And her story is told here so well. But an amazing thing happened when she died. And I'm completely astounded by the response at her death. It was like those that knew her saints and widows alike said, we can't let her go. They washed her, but they would not anoint her for burial. They laid her down in honor, but they would not wrap her in a burial shroud. They said, send two men quickly. Get Peter. He had just done a notable miracle in the chapter before. He's the biggest gun we have got. He is the noted miracle worker of our day. Send for him quickly because we can't do without her. And the widows and the weeping, they would, I could hear them say, no one loved us like that. No one brought us such meaning like that. No one showed us a way to such life or brought us such love as this woman. We cannot do without her. And so come Peter quickly. And the scripture says he arrived in haste and they showed to Peter all that she had done. All the power of her good works, all the glory of her compassion. All the testimony and the impact of those that discipled in that room. And what a big reveal it was when these widows 
who looked like they didn't have much were proving to be, as the scripture says, rich in faith. And perhaps they provoked Peter to action because verse 40 says, Peter moved. It says, he said, I need to be alone. He put them all forth and he kneeled down and he prayed. As far as I know, he'd never raised a dead person before. He kneeled down. And kneeling down, did he remember the master? When the master had put everyone out but him and two others and prayed for a little girl that she would arise? Did he remember the widow's son at Nain? Best of all, did he remember the empty tomb he ran into? And the scripture says that he turned to this body and he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and sat up. Tabitha, graceful one. Tabitha, known to be a life giver who moved in her gifts with such grace and touched so many. That godly woman that nobody seems to be able to do without a rise. And it says in Acts 9.41, it says, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. The interesting part when it says and lifted her up, that that phrase, it's a word in Greek, and it means a baffling wind. And it says when he extended his hand to her and lifted her up, it was like a baffling wind, something that is unexplainable, but it's happening. Something that is acknowledging that this woman is needed and desperately needed. That the cry of many are saying, we need this woman, a life giver, full of grace to continue this ministry. It's baffling why God answered the way he did. But he did and it was like Peter in touch and the Holy Spirit upon him knew what this woman meant in this early church. And she arose. It's unexplained but it happened. Beloved, I want to say today, a baffling wind, an unexplained anointing is still coming on the daughters of Eve and the Dorcases of our time. Women, mothers, and mothers in Zion that are experiencing resurrection from the dead because they are needed, because they're learning who their place is in God, and they refuse to give in to what wants to shut them down and shut them out of life. They return to the truth, and they're being made free. Hallelujah. And a baffling wind of the Holy Spirit is coming upon women in this generation. Hallelujah. A baffling wind that will stir us once again to our destiny as life givers. That even when we experience death, we will have leaving a testimony that God says, I can't take you yet for you believe me. You are pressing in. You push away the death to receive my life time and time and time again. It's not about us being perfect. It's not about us doing right. It's about us saying, my Jesus, you have called me to be a life giver. Send the Holy Spirit. Let it baffle that I can rise again. Hallelujah. 
Let it baffle people that I will not be destroyed, that I will not give up, that I will keep on loving, that I will keep on giving. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. At our most crushed, at our most despairing, a baffling wind will find us. Hallelujah. Women full of grace doing much good. Not that we know it. You know, the most anointed people don't know they're anointed. If you can sing, you can just sing. And beloved, when we get in touch with the Holy Spirit and we understand our original intent, what was in God's heart when he created us to be a life giver, because we have been touched by the giver of life, Jesus Christ. And we keep returning to our purpose. And so we live in the promise that we can be that because we were called to be that. Hallelujah. In this society at this time, there is a cry, my beloved sister, we can't make it without you and your anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, in Judges 5, 7, it speaks about a time that sounds exactly like our time. You can read it later in Judges 4 and 5. But it talks about a time when governments are failing and when people are choosing new gods. It talks about a time when there's war in the gates and when the chosen people are found defenseless. It puts it this way. It says, not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. A time of war and the people of God are found defenseless against a crushing and opposing and an intimidating spirit to wipe them out and shut them down. But it says in this time, until, until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel a spiritual mother, able to give wisdom, able to push and give that life to her society that no matter how desperate it becomes, she has a love in her heart for her people, for her nation, for her children, for other people's children. It is a God-given thing. It's instinctive, it's ferocious, and it's from God. That I arose a mother in Israel. I a baffling answer. A baffling answer to an unexpected situation. It was unexpected, unseen. But she was chosen, my beloved sisters. There's a place for the mothers of Zion to arise in this time. To be able to believe God, to touch us, and we keep pouring out by the grace of God that makes us more beautiful and more effective than other. In this, I just want to emphasize godly spiritual young mothers, godly spiritual young mothers. It is for the old and for the young. It is for all of us, mamas, big mamas, grandmas, all of us, there is this call and anointing. In Hebrew, there is a word for mercy and womb, and it is the same word. Did you know that? The Hebrew word for mercy and the Hebrew word for womb is the same word. What does mercy and the womb have to do with each other? I will always say, I want to put it this way. 
when a woman is pregnant, she feels the life in her distinct from her. And it's a given life to her. But she knows it's not who that baby is today, but the potential of who that baby will be tomorrow that she carries on. Is that not mercy? Sometimes we can be found failing. Sometimes we are half formed. Sometimes we don't get it. And yet the mercy of God reaches out to us. Not who we are today, but his promise still says it's who you will be tomorrow. I will not give up on you because it's who you will be tomorrow. I want to say that a mother's heart has that perspective. I've told this story so many times, but there is a woman in this church and she used to get up at 5 a.m. to go down to the bus station here on 8th Avenue. She would travel five hours to go upstate New York to visit her son in the penitentiary for half an hour. And she would weep and cry when she would look at him, but she had to go his only visitor because she remembered what he looked like at five years old and the promise that was in him. And she will not let go of that. She will visit him and she will remind him of the promise he is. She will remind him of God gave her that life and she will not give up on that life. Hallelujah. That's what the womb and mercy has Beloved, in closing, I recently spoke with a student who is leaving Summit. With such a beautiful, honest, open talk, his eyes were shining as he spoke to me. And I saw the change in him. He had gone through a very trying season, but he came out like gold. And I had to tell him, I had to seek him down and tell him, I want you to know something. You were never a disappointment to me. And he told me, I was afraid. I was afraid I was going to leave this place. And no one will remember that I was here. And I could look at him and say, I will never forget you. And that's the truth. He said that to me. You'll forget me? I will never forget him. I will never forget you are here. That's what a mother does. She never forgets. She never forgets the life that she helped give birth to. That's the strength of the love in a mother's heart. That's the strength of it you will never forget. That's what the womb, the womb and mercy has in common. Please forgive my tears. I assure you they're tears of joy. But in many ways they are tears that my sister mothers, we would not back down from the high calling on our life in such a needy time. I'm just going to open these altars. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. We're just going to open these altars if we could for the mothers in Zion. Your children are spiritual children. We're going to open it for mothers. It's going to be a place of a new anointing and a new commission. A place where some are going to come to release hurt and pain. 
some we're are going to let go and get back to an understanding of your influence and impact. It is not a small thing when God calls us life givers. For those that have had abortions, we sang today a song for you. It's where Jesus declares, I am a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in your darkness. You do not have to live the rest of your life grieving. I call you life giver. In me, that's who you are. In me, that's who you will continue to be. These altars are open that God may visit us by his spirit and recommission us with the term he chose, first spoken by Adam at a time of extreme failure, and yet it was never truer or more understood by her. Her destiny was life giver. And God is going to give us the strength to walk in that and to continue to act it out and be it in our generation. In spite of our failures, he changes us. If we have a heart for this truth, he will make us so fruitful. We, it will take two names to describe us. I just want you to come out, step out of your seats, my sisters. This is for you, this service. The pastors are going to pray. <laughs> We're going to pray. We're going to dedicate babies. We're going to get it all done before 12 o'clock. <laughs> I'm telling you, that characterizes our life, right? No time, no time, no time. I'm sorry. God, get... step out of your seats. Come on, ladies, let's go. There is a mighty call in our life. We need the balcony. Let's, let's come down. Let's receive what God has for us. This name, let us begin to move full of grace in this place. That people, we come to the acknowledgement that a woman under the anointing of God, fulfilling her calling, we can't do without you. But we have to step up. We have to say, oh God, forgive me when I have backed away. When my fears and my failures keep me back from coming into the truth that makes me free. This is how you see me. This is how I believe I will walk in my family. No matter the desolation and the despair I'm feeling. God is truth and he's a way maker. He loves us so much and he can create something from nothing. If we will give him our nothing, if we will give him our exhaustion, I'm telling you, he's going to multiply. He hates a vacuum. If you're empty, you come ahead because he's going to keep pouring in that we can go out and give it the same. So as we sing, please join us at the altar for it's a time of consecration and prayer on on this most beautiful of Mother's Day. Mothers in Zion, spiritual mothers, come to be refreshed, strengthened. Hallelujah. And mothers, hallelujah. A great day. Let's worship him as the Holy Spirit ministers to you, my beloved. Ministers to you, my sister mothers. Let him minister now. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I pray this word potential. Lord, first of all, I pray for my sisters, for myself. Lord, I pray that they would see their potential. That you would touch them with the promise of God that they are life givers because they're attached to the giver of life. <laughs> 
that Jesus, you live in them richly. That Lord, they see the potential of being so deeply loved. The truth is so deep, it heals them. Truth is so deep, it sets them free. The truth is so deep, they let go. They let go. God, they don't even know who they'll be if they let go. Let them know they'll become a life giver in an astounding way. Like Tabitha and Dorcas that needed interpretation. There was such grace and fullness. Women full, full, full of life that only you give, Jesus. You fill every empty place oh God my God let them see the utter potential in their life oh God you have called us to be life givers may that characterize us in new and powerful ways. God, may us, we continue to see potential in others. Oh God, that's what our womb, that's what mercy has in common. We see not what is, we see, we know the potential of others. We will not back away from believing for them in a big way. We will not back away from being encouraging. Oh God, I pray for our speech, oh God, we who who are a genius at these things. We consecrate our lips, consecrate our speech, oh God. Show us, Lord, how to be life givers in our speech. Take away, oh God, that which destroys and withers. Make us women of restrained speech, of powerful speech, of loving speech. Let compassion be in our passion, oh God, and let us not forget, oh God, the power you gave us in words. You who are the word, remind us the power and life of the word of God. Let it dwell richly in us. Lord, not from rote memorization, but from, oh God, digging deep down into this word and living it and loving people because of it. I thank you, oh God. This is a day of a new appreciation of who we are of our original intent. We are the daughters of Eve, called to be life givers in a very dark and dying time. It's only possible in you, but thank you, oh God, you sent a baffling woman, a baffling wind upon a woman that others said was dead, but a baffling wind came upon her, that Holy Spirit, that it defies what should happen, but it creates life from our death, oh God. Let us be a source of bafflement. Where does she get the grace? Where does she get the energy? Where does she get that life that keeps on giving life? That's our destiny. That's our purpose, oh God. I thank you for a new release now in this, Lord. I pray you touch every sorrowing heart to bring us through, oh God, to that place of life that is found in the giver of life who dwells in us. So anoint and commission our sisters, oh God, our mothers and our mothers inside. Let us not draw back or pull back, but let us be ever increasing light in the darkness because you love us and you gave us life. And all God's daughters who are seeing themselves God's way Receive this word and say amen and amen. God bless you.